All right, in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. If you have your phones, it's still Mark chapter 7. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, um, and today we get to Jesus' teaching. So we've seen a lot of the activity that Jesus has done. Today he's got something to say. And it's very, very important for all of us in the room because when we listen to the words of Jesus today, we will actually know how God sees us. How God sees us. And that is the most important reality in your life. Not how you see yourself, not how somebody else sees you, but how does God see you? And so that's what we're going to dig into today. Um, it's a, basically you're jumping off the diving board from Mark chapter 2. And you remember, Jesus called a dude that most of the people didn't think Jesus would call. He was a guy that was hated. He was a guy that robbed people. His name was Levi. He was a tax collector. And Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And that's exactly what he does. And he says this because a lot of the religious leaders were asking Jesus, why are you hanging out with this guy and his friends? And this is what Jesus said. When Jesus heard this, he told them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is my fear. My fear is that some good people miss out on God because they think they're good enough. They think they're healthy when in fact God would call you sick. And you're going to see the cause of the issues are hearts. It's not changing your behavior, it's changing your heart. And when God gives you a new heart, your life's transformed. You have new desires. What's in need is a heart transplant. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Some of you guys know the, the story. My dad, this has been a few years ago. Um, he, he cuts grass for a living and he's out and moving. And he said one day he got in the truck and made it home, unloaded the, the trailer of the mowers and just leaned over to the glove box to put his sunglasses in there. And he goes, Ben, as soon as I did that, my heart started racing and I couldn't catch my breath. And he's like, man, I've, I've done more strenuous work than lean over and put sunglasses up. And you know it's bad, at least for me, when my dad would call the doctor, right? He's one of those guys that he would shake off a heart attack if he could. But this time, he's like, yeah, I better call a doctor. Go check it out. He goes to the doctor. The doctor said he had an upper respiratory infection. Sent him home with some antibiotics. Well, later on in the week, he has the same issue again where he just loses his breath, can't catch his breath, goes back to the doctor. They send him to the ER and come to find out he had a weak upper heart muscle. And so he needed a lot more than an antibiotic. And they pumped 30 pounds of fluid off of his chest because the heart wasn't pumping. Now, a wrong diagnosis could kill you. If you have the wrong diagnosis spiritually, it could eternally kill you. This isn't light stuff that we're jumping into today. And so I'm asking God to do what only God can do. I'm asking Him to open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us see, because nobody's here by accident today. God has a word for you. We're going to hear from the Bible what God has for you. And what you're going to find out is the same invitation that Jesus gave to Levi, he's giving to you. Hey, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. All right, let's pray, and then we'll dig into Mark chapter 7. 
Father, I thank you for gathering us here on this cold, ugly morning. Thank you for the sunlight. Thank you for protecting us from the ice and the snow, getting us in here. Help us here. Help us see you. Open up our eyes, open up our hearts for what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's start verses 1 through 13. And what you're going to see are hearts far from God. Hearts far from God. And ask yourself today, if we could evaluate where your heart is, what is your heart set on? Some of you guys are getting close to graduation. Your heart might be set on walking, getting that diploma. Some of your heart might be on a job promotion or finding the right job. Some of your hearts might be set on your spouse or the right girlfriend, right boyfriend. Some of your heart might be set on a new car, a car. That your heart can go after a lot of stuff. Here, you're going to meet some guys that thought they had a heart for God, and God told them, your hearts are far from me. And so just right now, evaluate your own heart. Is it set on Jesus? All right, that's what we're going to see right here. We're going to do a little heart evaluation and see that these guys, their hearts were far from God. Verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed, and there are many other customs they perceive and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonial unclean hands? Now real quick, this is not talking about killing germs. What would happen in this tradition, and it was a good thing, but the problem is they've turned it into a bad thing. You see, this washing of the hands was a reminder that before God we're unclean. Now listen, this goes against what you're taught today. Right? With all the self-esteem and self-help that you have out there and behavioral psychology, people will say, no, you're basically okay. You just got to think better thoughts. That's not what we read in the Bible, and that's not what God would say of us. We have a big issue, and we'll see that in just a little bit. But here, they would use this as a reminder. You've got to wash your hands because when you approach God and you enter into His presence, His holiness and our sin are not compatible. There's a disconnect. And so it was a reminder when you wash your hands, you're saying, I'm not worthy of the God of glory. It was a very humbling thing. But do you see how the religious leaders now are saying, because I wash my hands, I'm better than you who didn't wash your hands or your cups or your dishes. And now they're saying doing this gets me into the presence of God. And not doing this keeps you from the presence of God. So, hey, Jesus, why are your disciples doing that? Let's hear Jesus' response. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human traditions. Jesus just laid the smack down. The people who thought they were right next to God, He said, You honor God with your lips, but I see your heart, and your heart is far from God. You see, they thought they were healthy and not in need of the doctor. They thought they were righteous and not in need of a Savior. And Jesus says, no, you're far from God. And then we keep reading. He also said to them, you have a fine way of 
and validating God's command in order to set up your tradition. You see, the tradition of the ceremonial washing had become gospel to them, and they've forgotten the commands of God. And look at what Jesus points out. For Moses said, Honor your mother and father, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, If anyone tells his or her, her, his or her father or mother, Whatever benefit you might receive from me is Corban, that is an offering devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition, and you have handed down, that you have been handed down, and you do many other similar things. So what would happen? Aiden, let's say this. Your mom is sick and in need of help. And she's like, Aiden, I, I don't have the money for the medication that I need this month. I need your help financially. Can you help me? And you say, I can't. I've already devoted that to God. And I can only give that to God. I can't help you, Mom. That would be awful, right? That's what these guys were doing. They were saying, hey, forget my mom and dad. I've devoted everything to God so I don't have to give it to them or you or you or anybody that asks. I just get to keep it for myself, and then when I die, I get to give it all to God. I have no responsibility to my parents. And you see how Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. He's saying, you think by following some rules, you can be accepted by God. And he says, your hearts are far from me. Now, we don't do this anymore. Right? We, we don't ceremonially clean and wash hands before we eat. Now, it's a good idea to wash your hands before you eat for hygiene, but we don't have this custom anymore. And you're going to see why in just a little bit. But you, you want to know what? I think we have the same issues that the Pharisees have and that we think we can approach God on our own works and behavior. Like if I just do some good stuff, if I show up every Sunday to church, uh, if I'm baptized... If I give a little bit, if I, if I don't cuss out my parents, maybe I'm all right before God. Right? And then we start thinking we earn it. And then we start looking down on other people. And Jesus says, you're far. You're far from God. Jesus keeps going. Verse 14. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Hey, he's saying the same thing to us. He, he's getting ready to drop a bomb on this group. You remember when I asked you to, to evaluate your heart and how far or near you are to God? Coach Floor, some of you guys know him. He's a, a teacher at Holmes High School. We were, uh, this was last summer. We wanted to get some exercise in. We wanted to get some steps. And I set a goal on my phone that, that measures steps. I wanted to get 30,000 steps in. Right. And we had to drop off some things to Matt Watson and our house to his house and, and is up here. We're talking six miles now. Six miles is one way to get back. It would be 12. And we just go down. We went down actually Madison Avenue all the way over there to Ludlow. Six miles, 18 minutes by car. You want to know how long it took us to walk? Over half the day. By the time we started our way back, Coach Floor took his shoe off. His sock had blood on it, and his foot was already developing a blister. And I told him, like, Floor, I like you, but I'm not carrying you back to the house. You're going to have to thumb a ride. He toughed it out. We're limping. I can only imagine if one of the other coaches drove by. Floor's going down. He's limping. It's a lot further to Ludlow than I thought, especially when you decide to walk. The distance between you and I to God is a whole lot further than most people think. 
You know, some people aren't religious at all. As a matter of fact, that's a growing number today. Some people do not care at all. Like, God, like I don't care if God accepts them or not. I don't, I don't know if there is even a God. And that belief is growing. One out of five Americans believe that. They don't believe in anything particular. If there's a God, I don't know him. I don't care about him. That's far from God. But you want to know what the awesome part is? Jesus came really far to save those far from him. And he goes all the way to the cross to show you how much he loves you. Jesus doesn't let you stay far away. He comes near. And remember last week, we saw a guy that was really far from God. Demon-possessed, and it was actually a legion, many demons. And he was actually living in the cemetery, cutting himself with rocks. There's nobody in that situation that I know of in Covington. I would say he would be the furthest one from God. And he meets Jesus, and he's transformed. That's the awesome thing when it comes to Jesus. If you know you're sick, you go to the good physician, and you're made well. The man with leprosy touches Jesus. Jesus doesn't become leprous. The sick man becomes well. That's what happens when you come to Jesus. Sick people are made well. The problem with the Pharisees are they're saying, we don't need you, Jesus. We're healthy. We're righteous. We're good before God. And Jesus says, no, you're far from God. And then he keeps going. And this is what he says. This is who we are. The problem's not outside, the problem's on the inside. Verse, uh, we'll pick it up with 17, or actually 15. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him, right? Contaminate, pollute, right? If you have a cup back there, you, you got coffee cups. When you look at the cup, if it's not clean on the inside, are you going to put any coffee in it? No, but if it's clean on the inside, you will. What he's saying is the, the outside, your behavior isn't what pollute you, isn't what contaminates you. It's what's on the inside. And then he keeps on digging. He says, when he went to, into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. Now, to you, that sounds pretty self-explanatory. But the disciples weren't getting it. And I think sometimes we miss the point here. And so Jesus again drives this home. He said to them, are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then is eliminated. I love, Jesus doesn't mess around. He's like, all right, guys, just so you know, let me be very clear. When you eat something, it goes in your mouth, in your stomach, and out. That doesn't mess you up, usually. He goes, this is what messes you up. Thus he declared, all food's clean. We'll come back to that. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So what comes out of you is what defiles you. Now listen, he goes, for from within, out of people's hearts, come all of it. Now listen if this describes you. Because unfortunately, when he starts hitting this, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <coughs> out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a person. You see, Jesus shows us exactly what the problem is. It's not stuff that you do. It's your heart. And your heart leads you to do the things that you do. And so what are you in desperate need of? A Savior 
that can touch your heart, that can change your desires, that can transform your life, that can make you new. And that's exactly who Jesus is. And so you keep reading. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Alright, so, so right there, the righteousness of God. How does that happen? It happens because of Jesus. I want you to see this. Because from Genesis to Revelation, you have people that are covered in shame. Adam and Eve, they're created. They sin. What do they do? They cover and they hide. They cover and they hide. You know that's what people have been doing ever since then? Because you can hide stuff. You can hide stuff from a pastor. You can hide stuff from a teacher. You can hide stuff from a coach. But you want to know who you can't hide from? God. God even knows what you're thinking. He knows what you've said. He knows what you've done in private when you think nobody's watching. And we have to give an account to that God who is infinitely holy. And this is, this is where, where I think a lot of people miss it. We do what the Pharisees do. We tend to downplay our own sinfulness. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And then we miss out on the holiness of God. What I see in the Bible is when God shows up and people see His glory, they fall on their face. And I'm talking about some dudes that are pretty good. So Job, Job went through the ringer. If you ever read uh, his book in the Bible, he starts talking. He's like, why is this happening? I don't understand this. What is going on? And then God shows up and Job's like, my bad. And did you know Job never gets an answer to his questions, but he sees the glory of God and he stops asking questions. Or, or maybe Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain and the smoke of God's glory lights his face up. And so he returns to the people and the people can't even look at Moses. He has to put a veil on because of the glory of God. And we'll see Isaiah, but what about in the New Testament? Paul. Paul is putting people to death for following Jesus. Paul would bust this door down, arrest us, and take us to jail. And he's on his way to do the same thing and Jesus shows up and what happens? Paul hits his face and his life is transformed. His heart is changed. What about Peter? Peter's just in a boat, right? Now, hey, Peter's a legit fisherman. And Jesus is a carpenter. And he, they had been fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus starts teaching. And then after he's done teaching, he tells Peter, hey, go on out to the deep and let's throw the nets out. And Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you know this. We've been fishing all night. We're tired. We didn't catch anything. Fish aren't out this time of day. And then Peter goes, but because you are Jesus, I'll do it. And he goes out, throws his nets out, and the boat starts sinking because of how many fish they catch. What's Peter's response? He hits his face and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You see what happens when you see the holiness of God, you see the reality of our sin. Let me give you, I think, maybe a helpful illustration. A couple weeks ago, I got invited by one of uh, Ava's dads to play some basketball. And I'm thinking it's going to be a bunch of dads playing basketball. Right? Friend's dad. Yeah, I am Ava's dad. <laughs> Ava's friend's dad. And so this guy, Ava, how old would you say he is? 45, 50? 
I'm thinking I'm coming in as a young guy. I'm going to whoop up on some old guys. Well, I show up. Me and him are 10 years older than everybody else out there. And there was a crew from the Kentucky Enforcers. Does that mean anything to anybody? Kentucky Enforcers? Didn't mean much to me, but they're a semi-pro team. And I thought, oh, these are the guys that are still want to be pros, whatever. Well, turns out that these guys are legit. They are still running and jumping and dunking. And I told Ava, I'm like, Ava, there's not one guy out here that I can guard, except for Lauren's dad. And they put me and Lauren's dad on the same team. And so we go out there. We're only playing the 10. We got lucky, hit some shots. We walk off the court. We won 10 to 8. And I'm walking off with some swag. I'm walking off about like this. Ava comes out as I get a little drink of water. I'm like, Ava, did you see that? She's like, Dad, you won. I go, yep, that's right. Give her a high five. The problem is I went back into the gym. I go back into the gym, and the guys are like, all right, guys, let's warm up. Let's play now. We check the ball up. Apparently, they have a warm-up game before they start playing. We proceeded to lose four in a row, and they weren't close games. And it turns out there wasn't one guy out there that I could guard. And listen, I don't get embarrassed on a basketball court too often, but playing these guys, it was embarrassing. And my daughter was there to be a witness. She's like, oh, Dad, fake an injury. Fake an injury. Just go down. It's funny, when you get to levels of basketball, there's always somebody bigger, better, stronger, right? And if you play long enough, you can play good enough competition, you'll get embarrassed. Now, the point is, we can compare ourselves to other people and say, you know what, I'm all right. I'm not as bad as this person, I'm not as bad as this person. But the problem is, that's not the comparison. If you want God, the comparison's God. And when you compare your holiness to God's holiness, there is no comparison. As a matter of fact, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. The God who created us for a relationship we've turned from, we've ran from, we've done our own thing. But you want to know what the awesome thing is? God says, hey, I love you too much to leave you here. You don't have to stay in your shame. You don't have to stay in your embarrassment. You can be covered in my son. And so let's get to the the good news, that, that is the bad news. Your sin is from within, it's your heart, right? And, and so you can't do good enough stuff to change your heart. It's who we are. You need God to change your heart, and that's exactly what he does. So, so check this out. If you're taking notes, Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. Says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So you see, behavior is after a new heart. And many times, what happens in church is we ask guys to change their behavior without ever getting them to the gospel. Before behavior changes, hearts have to be transplanted. And that's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. God's Spirit is poured out. Your heart is transformed and made new. You have new desires and new affections. Before you didn't want anything to do with God, and now your heart is alive to the things of God. He changes everything. That's why we worship a Savior. That's why we sing songs to Jesus. You can't clean yourself up. I made the mistake... Cutting grass with dad, weed eating at Ben Korenbrock's veterinarian clinic. I have been at this place at once a week for years, cutting grass. 
And the great part is I get the laser in the back. The problem is I finish before dad does the hard mowing in front. So I grab the weeder and I start off. Now, when you weeded and you're at a vet, what do you have to be careful for? Yes, deposits. <laughs> deposits. Hey, and I know that. I know exactly where they let the dogs out. They got a fenced-in area out back. There's a little shed you got to weed around. I wash my step and I wash the weeder. For whatever reason, this particular day, I just wanted to get done. I was like, you know what? I've done this hundreds of times. I'm going to fly through this, get through the front. I'm like, man, I'm setting a record today. Get to the back, open the gate, boom, start going. And I turn around this shed, and there's this pile that I didn't see in time. And as soon as I go, I hit it, and I try to pull the weeder up and out of it, and that just slung it. And I just feel splatter, 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 boom, it hit my nose. And I stopped, I stopped, and I thought, I cannot believe I just did that. And, and I'm, I'm kind of frozen. I'm like, how am I going to get this stuff off of me? I started to think, all right, so it's on my shirt. I tried to shake off the shirt. I'm like, man, I still smell it. And it's still right here. And I go just like this to wipe it off, and it just spread. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be... I did not stop smelling dog deposits for the rest of the day. I couldn't get it out. The more I wiped, the more messier it got. The same thing happens with your sin. If you try to make it better, you only make it worse. The good news is, let Jesus come and clean you up. That sin is nasty and you can't get rid of it. You need someone to come and clean you up. All right, that's where you get to the good news. Have any of you guys ever, you have, I remember this, scouting reports. Scouting reports, you show up, and whether it's colleges or, or if you're going for an NFL draft, they, they give you so-and-so, this is what he does, how fast he runs, this is how much he benches, whatever. Well, arguably, the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, had a terrible scouting report, right? So many people missed out on a and. Did you know there were seven other quarterbacks picked in front of him? Did you know the Browns picked a quarterback before him? Spurgeon Wynn. Anybody know that name? No, but he was picked ahead of Tom Brady, right? And the Browns are still looking for a quarterback. But listen to, to what they said about Tom Brady. The scout, the scout evaluation leading up to the draft, one guy said he's awful, he's not even on my board, he has a weak arm, but he'll make somebody a good husband or a good medical salesman. That was what they said about Tom Brady. But another guy, quarterback coach, say he's a great backup, could be a number two in the league for the long team, has the size but not enough arm. General manager, I like him, I just wish he was a better athlete. And then you have all of these quarterbacks picked before him, but when you combine their stats and their wins and losses, it doesn't come close to what Tom Brady accomplished. You see, one of the hardest things to do in the NFL and in life is to give an accurate scouting report. An accurate scouting report. Now, that doesn't really matter for most of us in the room, right? Not, not many of us care that what scouts say about us. But you want to know what does? Did you know God sees you? Have you ever thought, what does God think of you? What's the scouting report before God who knows everything about you? How do you stand before Him? Now, I, I'm interested in that. I would love to know how God views me. Well, in your Bible, you have one of those scouting reports. It's in Zechariah. 
Zechariah's in the Old Testament, small book. And I just want you to hear a couple of verses. Zechariah has this vision of the high priest who would be considered the most holiest man on the planet for this group. Listen to the scouting report. Then he showed me the high priest, Joshua, standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right hand side to accuse him. And you have that enemy too. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this a burning stick snatched from the fire? I love that description. Satan saying, hey, this guy, this guy doesn't belong to you, God. And God's like, yeah, he does. I snatched him from the fire. Now, Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him. Real quick, does that matter to you? Joshua, the high priest, standing in the presence of God with filthy clothes? That would never happen. in this. You want to know what happened? One time a year, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, right? The temple. There's this curtain separate. Nobody goes in there except for one guy, and he only goes in one time a year. It's a very dangerous thing. As a matter of fact, you have bells on his robe, and when they stop ringing, there's a rope that you pull this guy out of because when you go into the presence of God in an unworthy manner, people die. The holiness of God is a very scary thing for unholy, sinful people. And so this guy would wash and bathe and put on these new clothes and then he would go in and sacrifice for his own sin. And then he'd come back out, wash and bathe and put on new clothes and then go in and sacrifice for the sins of the priest. And then he would come back out, change his clothes, wash and bathe, put new ones on, go in and sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so he would scrub and wash and have beautiful clothes. Pure clothes on as he approached the presence of God. But here, what we see in the vision, he has filthy clothes on. Is he talking about his robes? No. What is he talking about? His heart. And this is the high priest. And you want to know what we see here? This is how God sees us. We have filthy, dirty hearts. Now listen, you might say, Ben, I didn't come to hear that today. The only way you get to the good news is if you hear the bad news. The good news is you don't have to stay with your filthy, dirty heart. God can give you a new, clean one. And that's exactly what happens here. Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head and they clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. Only God can do that. You cannot clean yourself up. Only God can do that. Isaiah. Remember Jesus said Isaiah was right? You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. That Isaiah? Listen to how Isaiah, when he sees the glory of God, responds. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the high and lofty throne. So, so get this in, in your mind. Can you imagine seeing the Lord of glory on the throne? And all of His holiness and all of His righteousness, this is the vision that Isaiah sees. And then this is awesome. The hem of His robe filled the temple. That's how big the glory of God is. 
Seraphim were standing above them. They each had six wings. With two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook. The sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. How do you think Isaiah responds to this? How do you think you would respond to this? Coming into the presence of the glory of God. This is how he responds. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies, then one of the seraphim flew to me, and his hand was on a glowing coal and taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. How does that happen? Because that's what I need. Mike, that's what you need. Matt, that's what you need. We need somebody to atone for our sin. Someone to pay the price for our hearts. How does that happen? Do you think Isaiah tells us how that happens? He does. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Who's Isaiah talking about? Jesus. Jesus. And check this out. I love this. We all, all of us in this room, all of us on this planet, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And so you see Jesus going to the cross. And it talks about in Hebrews how Jesus goes outside the camp so that He may purify us by how? The shedding of His blood. You see, when Jesus goes to the cross, do you think that's a shameful thing? You think it was shameful? Jesus, he's stripped, he's beaten, he's spat on. Do you see the shame? And he's hung on a tree. He takes our shame to the cross. And he takes our penalty to the grave. But what happens in three days? He defeats it. He raises from the grave. And he lives to intercede for you and for me today. You want a new, clean heart? You want a transformed life? It's found in the one that took on your shame so that you can have his righteousness. This is my hope. This is the scouting report before God. He's not going to say, hey, Ben, you preached a lot of Sundays. Uh, you did this, you did this. He's going to say, come on in because of my son. As a matter of fact, that's my only hope. Why should I get heaven? Why should I enjoy the presence of God? Because of what Jesus has done for me. That's the only way any of us get heaven. That's the only way any of us get to God. We need a righteousness that matches God. And the only way we get that is through Jesus on the cross. He who has no sin was sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. You want to be made whole? You want to be made clean? It's found in Christ. Now, Jesus has done some awesome things that we've seen through Mark 1 through 6, right? So there's no healing for a man with leprosy. He touches him, he's made well. Peter's mom's sick. Jesus shows up, she's made well. Demon-possessed man. 
that the townspeople chained up, bound up, breaking chains. Jesus touches them, he's made well. There's a storm with guys that know the sea. He says, peace be still, and the storm stops. And you see a lot of stuff in the beginning of chapter 6. There's 5,000 people there, over 5,000 people, and you've got five pieces of bread and two fish, basically a four-for-four four meal from Wendy's. And he tells the disciples, all right, tell the people to sit down, pass this out. And you end up with baskets left over. He sends the disciples across the sea, and he says, I'm going to dismiss the people. He goes to praise, and then he's like, I'll catch up with you later. But he doesn't use a boat. He just starts walking across the water. You see, Jesus has done some awesome things. But you want to know one thing that I'm continually blown away at that Jesus still does today? He changes people's lives. There's nobody that's too far from God that Jesus can't change. And as a matter of fact, it's usually the person that's furthest from God that he uses the most. You want to know why? Because they won't ever take the glory for it. They'll give glory to Jesus. That's exactly what happened with the demon-possessed man. He, he, Jesus tells him, no, you're not following me. I need you to go to this town and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Or the woman that was sick for 12 years and had no hope. Every doctor just made it worse. Do you think she had a lot to say about Jesus? Or how about the religious leader whose 12-year-old daughter was dead? And Jesus is like, no, I just need to sit down and wake her up. Brings her back to life. All of those are unbelievable events that point to the Son of God doing some awesome things. But it's just as awesome when you have a dead, cold heart that Jesus touches and they become alive to God. A couple of hymns that I would love to sing, and Brian, we can put these uh, in there. A couple of hymns that I'm not going to sing. I just want to read a couple of the words to you. The first one is, are you washed in the blood? And you're like, oh, man, that's weird. Are you, what are you talking about? Are you washed in the blood? Just listen to the words. Are you washed in the blood? Have you been to Jesus for cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Is the soul cleansing in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? How's your heart? New heart, clean heart, comes through what Christ did on the cross. Second hymn, there is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? Some of you, sin has a stranglehold on, and you think, Ben, I can't get out of this. I'm stuck in this. I can't escape it. How do I get out? It's through Christ. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power, Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And then the last one, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Is this your song? I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now I indeed find thy power in thine alone. Came and changed the leper spot and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And then, when before the throne I stand, in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. 
My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus is our only hope. The problem is bigger than any of us thought. It's our hearts. And our Savior is better than anyone could imagine. The problem goes all the way down to the heart, and that's where our Savior does His best work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for gathering us here this morning. And Lord, there's a lot of conversations that we need to have. There are people here right now whose hearts are dead to You, but they want life. And so, Lord, I pray that they, in faith, trust Your Son. Father, there's other people here that have been walking with You, but maybe they've grown cold. The cross is in the shadows of their life, and they're living distant from You. I pray that they turn from their sin and trust in You for salvation. Father, I thank You for gathering us here this morning. Father, You do what only You can do. We ask that You save. We ask that You bring to life dead, cold hearts that are in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. And Father, even possibly in this room. Help us be faithful in having conversations. Help us be faithful in taking the good news out. Help us be faithful in encouraging our families to walk with You. Lord, help us see our hearts the way You do. And then rejoice in our Savior who paid it all. We owe it all to Him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.